Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to get started this morning. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're in Proverbs chapter 11. And uh, we're going to just continue to, to, to teach from the book of Proverbs until we make it all the way through. Hopefully you are taking some time to read uh, on your own at home, just just processing what it looks like to, to read a proverb a day. You can do it. You will have read Proverbs 12 times, give or take, uh, if you do that in any given year, and it won't hurt you. So, praise the Lord. Did you find Proverbs chapter 11? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Teach us by your word. We just bless you, Lord God, for all that you do in our lives, all you do through our lives, Father. And Father, we praise you for all you're doing that we don't yet see. We know you're working behind the scenes in ways, Father, that we can never imagine. And so we thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we started last week talking uh, in this area, basically from Proverbs chapter 10 to Proverbs chapter 22 or so. The writer begins using this literary technique called a couplet. And basically it's two statements tied together and it talks about the similarities or it gives contrast or a a greater uh, explanation. So probably uh, based on tradition, Proverbs chapter 10 starts with what are considered Solomon's Proverbs. And and you have to kind of process with me why that would be different than some of the other ones. So, so let me just give you a couple of, of things here. Remember that it was very common in those days for your son to follow in your footsteps. So Solomon as David's son and Solomon had a son. So this would likely be something that he would use to teach his children, but more specifically the, the, the rightful heir or the reigning heir that would come up and, and, and be king next. And so these, these things are really, uh, uh, you could really look at them and, and, and give them a title, Training for Reigning. And these little one-liners uh, were, were meant, probably meant, by, by Solomon to help his lineage and his kids understand what it took. And, and sometimes, you know, we'd like to have a position... Um, that looks like it would be fun to do, but when we get in that position, we realize that it takes a level of wisdom and it takes a level of experience that we don't have when it starts. And so we have to learn how to get that, and that's what Solomon was doing. So if you want to understand how to process your growth and, the, and, and see how God adds things to you, you know, here and there and, and, and those kinds of, of ways, why you can begin to see what God does. He, he, he gives you these little one-liners that'll give you wisdom and give you uh, explanations and, and so forth. It, it's very profitable for you to pay attention to how he compares things. So let's begin in, in Proverbs chapter 11. Look at the, the second verse. It says, when pride comes, and, and probably one of the ways to talk about this would be when pride is recognized. See, a lot of times pride will come into our life, but we don't always recognize it's there. Amen? Sometimes it just seems normal for us to be the way we are based on circumstances in life and whatever else we're going through that we become prideful. 
And you say, oh, I'm not prideful, Pastor. Please be careful when, when you recognize that you're not prideful because the very nature of recognizing that you're not kind of points out that you are, right? <laughs> so it's a little bit difficult. So he said when pride comes, when pride is recognized, then comes shame. Now remember that shame is the process that makes what you do who you are. Many people that, that we deal with in jail and prison ministry and so forth, the shame comes when they are nothing but a convict. One of the reasons that the state of Colorado gave our team and, and, and our plan such great leeway is we taught reintegration ministry. That's what we called it. But it was how to come out of prison recognizing that you don't have any money, you don't have a, a, a driver's license, and you don't have any friends anymore. And so how do you process that? And so, you know, if you've been in prison for 8, 10, 12 years and you come out, all the buddies who should have been in prison with you come running to you. Well, they're not your friends. And you will be identified by some as being a convicted convict, even though you've, you've spent your time. Does that make sense? And so you get this tattoo that's in the mind of everyone else. It's right across your forehead that says convict. But in reality, when you pay your price societally and you become a new person in Christ, there's no tattoo up there. And so what shame does is it takes what we've done and it so integrates it into our, our, our soul that it becomes who we are. It's the problem that I have, generally speaking, with 12-step programs. Hello, my name is Glenn. I'm an alcoholic. Even though I haven't, and I, I wasn't, I didn't want to say... I didn't want to use one of you in case I didn't know about your life and, and I was touching really close to home. But we don't identify as those things because Jesus comes into our life and the Bible says old things pass away. Now, if you don't put down the defibrillator of your soul and quit shocking your old guy into, into, into life, you're going to continue to identify as that person. That's what shame does. And pride is a part of that. So when pride comes, then comes shame. Again, pride will say, this is how I have to live because of this is what I've done. Now let me take it away from criminal activity and just put it into poverty. There are a great number of people who somehow believe that poverty is godly. If poverty is so godly, why are we instructed by God to give help to the poor? We should celebrate the fact that they're poor. If prosperity is so bad, why doesn't the devil just open up the spigot to everybody and then just watch them sin? See, that's what shame does. It'll put an identity into who you are by what you've done. God didn't design any of us to be an objective victim of societal error. I was love when people come up to me and say, you know, there's error in the Bible. Well, let me just point something out to me. If you tell me that there's error in the Bible and you have error, I'm going to choose the error in the Bible, which I'm going to assume just for conversation's sake, I'm going to assume is less over the error that's in you. See, <laughs> we, we miss this and we miss the transitional structure of what God gives us through his word. And so pride brings shame. But with the humble, and notice it says with the humble. As an addition to that person who walks in humility is wisdom. Wisdom is the ability 
to use the knowledge that God gives you to regulate your life in relationship to him and the world. See, wisdom will help you not participate in the things that are trying to identify you in shame. Are you tracking with me? Well, I can't ever live free of this. Yes, you can. You weren't designed by God for those things. And occasionally, people just get this craziness inside their head that says, well, this is what God has for me. You've not read the Bible a bit if you think that's what God has for you. Right? He, he did not design you to be bound to sin. I mean, go read the middle chapters, five, six, seven of, of Romans, and you're not to, to, to use your body, your, your parts, to serve sin. In fact, he says, consider them dead. Right? And so <laughs> wisdom makes you a dead person. Well, I'm not subject to that anymore. And so what do you have to do? You have to essentially revive the dead part of you to participate in You've got to work so hard to ignore God's truth. It's crazy to me. The integrity, verse 3, the integrity of the upright. Integrity is just kind of a, a simple word for innocence. And so when you have integrity, there's a level of innocence with which you approach what you're approaching with. Come on, how many of you have ever seen a time where you had a bit of a twisted motive? In dealing with someone. Just in a case, because you wanted something from them, right? You wanted them to, to see something a particular way. People who, who need to be in a 12-step program of controllers, hello, my name is Glenn, I'm a recovering controller, right? I want you to do what I want you to do so I can feel better about myself. <laughs> Come on. You understand that if people would quit making your life a wreck, you'd feel better about you. John Ortberg wrote a book uh, entitled, I'd Like You Better If You Were More Like Me. And that's the whole purpose of understanding <laughs> the diversity that God brings into these things and the integrity, literally the innocence that we are to approach people with. Notice what he says, the integrity of the upright, the integrity of those who walk in righteousness. What's righteousness? Righteousness is the expression of Jesus Christ's work in your life. You can be righteous in a good portion of your life and not have accepted his righteousness in a part of your life. Sorry. You can have that place in your heart that you reserve for your thinking. You protect it. You give excuse to it. My dad thought this way. My mom thought this way. I was trained. My grandpa was this way. And so everybody who has my last name is this, is this way. And we actually blame our lack of uprightness, our lack of righteousness on our lineage. And yet the Bible says we have an Abba Father. We changed parental influence. God is our Father. So he says that the, the integrity upright will guide them. Notice that most of us don't need guidance until we don't know what to do next. Some, see, some, I can tell by some of your faces, you got it. We don't need guidance until we don't know what to do. Who's in charge of your life? You are. You know exactly what to do until you don't. And then you cry out to God. 
The Bible says that in our weakness, God's power is displayed. How about this? How about moving the line of recognizing your weakness back? So you recognize it more and more readily. When I first went into ministry, I was pretty sure I knew what I was doing. It didn't take very long for me to recognize that I didn't know as much as what I thought I did. Now, here's the deal. When you get in ministry, in, in, in pastoral ministry, you have to come to grips with Sunday comes every six days. Now, it's not seven days, every six days. Because if you're not ready on the sixth day after Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if you're not ready on Saturday, you're not going to preach well on Sunday. Right? And if you have more services than that, which I did when I first started. In fact, when we first started just trying to help people, we, we were in Stratton, Nebraska. We were in Max, Nebraska. We were in Imperial, Nebraska. We were in Juanita, Nebraska. And I had four Bible studies a week, all people who came to our church. Now, it only took me a, a year and a half, because I'm lightning quick. To figure out, since they're all members of our church, why don't we have one Bible study and invite them all to the church? (laughs) (laughs) There was an innocence in my request. Y'all are in church anyway. Well, now, not only does it come around every six days is Sunday, every six days is Wednesday. Right? (laughs) It'll guide you. I don't know how many, you know, let me just assume you do this. Let me assume that you have a scriptural knowledge and you see somebody in your life or somewhere that needs what you know. Let me just assume you do that. You know, the book, the scripture, the the cassette series or whatever, cassettes, I guess I should show my ace. (laughs) The teaching series or whatever. And, and so we think we're going to teach it. When I, when I was teaching at the Bible school, um, every, every young wannabe pastor would come up to me and lament the fact that their home church wouldn't let them preach. And I'd say, well, why should they? He's, and they would say to me something like this. Well, I told my pastor that I had the solution to our church's problem. <laughs> you may not have enough information or experience not being called to those people. I know what I need to tell each and every one of you individually. Okay? I'm fairly sure I can come up with it. And I can tell you how to be controlled by what I know. But when you're called of God, your audience is God. Not people. And so when your focus is the people, you're on the first step of pride knowing how to control somebody's life. By the way, if you just do the numbers on that, I don't know how good you are at this, but you'll find that people who don't want to be controlled by you will run away from you. And people who are willing to be controlled by you will always need the next step of control. Tell me what to do next, Pastor. And that group gets really small. If you can't trust God in your integrity now, that's what we're talking about. Look at verse 3. It says, the integrity of the upright. If you can't be innocent in trusting God. See, rather than saying, well, I know what you need. I've been watching your life. 
I can see it by the expression on your face. And then you begin to tell somebody what they need. But integrity, or literally the innocence with which you approach how God approaches you, allows you to teach people in uprightness, and it'll guide you. Say, I don't need to guide you. Dear God, I got enough of my own problems. I don't need yours. You need to learn how to do that. And that's what Solomon was trying to teach. I believe what Solomon was trying to teach his son. Notice it says, but the perversity, verse number three again, of the unfaithful will destroy them. Let me point out something to you. If you point out the perversity and the impending destruction, you may lose that audience. That's not really the point. The point is integrity. In what areas of your life have you received the innocence of God's direction in your life? Many people, again back to my Bible school days, Many people wanted to get in ministry because they looked like it was, they thought it was an easy job. Well, uh, if you'd like, you can believe that. But I will tell you that ministry will eat you, chew you up, and spit you out without ceremony. Because, see, you've got to know what God said to you. See, the personhood that you are in Christ has to be what guides you, which is why your audience is one. Are we together? The perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. The two things are, contra- are, 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 are comparative, but one of them is really bad and the other one's really good. So we should focus on this integrity. How do we get innocent in that singular area that we're doing on? Let's, let's talk about it this way. How many of you recognize that you have a suitcase full of emotional baggage that you carry around? In some ways, you're quite proud of it. In fact, given enough of a relationship, you'll open your suitcase up and dig through it with somebody. Woo-hoo, look at here. I'll pray for this one, you know, and you pull out the, the little, little grubby thing that's in the corner of your suitcase. Did you know that, 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 that in your suitcase, that zipper that comes undone, you know, did you, you have a suitcase that has a zipper in the middle of that? That's so you can put the dirty stuff on the other side. Zip it closed, keep the clean stuff on one side. Did you not know that worked? See, I just taught you something about not mixing your clean with your dirty. (laughs) This makes a lot of sense when you put that in your soul. We think we can just unzip our heart and poke all that dirty stuff over here in the corner that nobody else is paying attention to. And then we'll unzip it every once in a while in front of people that we love and, and get it out. And I just want to tell you something. I would not be at all comfortable unzipping my stuff, bringing out my dirty stuff that's underneath here and putting it out in front of everybody. So here's the question. Why do you protect what's underneath the zipper? What's in the dirt? We protect that so much and we don't even think God knows about it. Now the first step is to quit saying it out loud for heaven's sakes. You know, the dirty stuff the bad stuff, and begin to allow God to renew your mind. You can be a different person without that stuff. You can. Amen. See, that's the perversity of the unfaithful. If Jesus died for your dirty stuff, why you keep carrying it around? You say, well, I can't help it. No, your brain unrenewed, your mind unrenewed tells you you can't help it. 
You can't help it. Right? Do you know that, that Tracy and I have traveled a fair bit? And I have never left my suitcase in an airport or a hotel. I always pick it up. Take it with me. You ever lost your suitcase? Well, you keep it with you. Why? Because you got stuff in there. Right? I'm trying to get you to see in your soul that those things you keep picking up ought to be left somewhere. The Bible says, cast your care upon him for he cares for you. He has a solution for those things. What are you supposed to do? Take all your dirty stuff out of your suitcase and push it towards God. Well, and see, we, we, we act like we're surprised that God would know that. I can't do that. I've got to wash my dirty stuff before I show it to God. But I'll sit down with somebody else and participate in the dirty stuff. Amen. If you're changed... You have to figure out how to leave your suitcase of the soul somewhere. Amen. Skip down to verse number 6. It says, the righteousness of the upright will deliver them. Not only will it guide them, but it will deliver them. Okay. How many of you have a destination that you'd like to get to in your spiritual life? Do you all have kind of a destination? And in some cases, the difficulty that we have in that destination oftentimes is that we're not getting there quick enough or we're not getting there in the right kind of shape, right? I mean, if you, if you limp in, it says the righteous upright will deliver them. What does that mean? It'll take them to the intended end. The righteousness of the upright, the right standing that Jesus gives us will take us to the destination, but most of the time, we're spending so much time saying, wait a minute, I'm not getting there quick enough. Can I point out to you that Jesus never intended for you to show up in heaven with your suitcase? You got to leave your suitcase. You got to unpack that thing in your heart, right? The Bible says we'll ch we're changed. when we see him, we'll be like him. We're changed in a twinkling of an eye. That's just all the stuff you kept in your suitcase. Because you have the ability to live like Jesus paid for your debt Right now. You don't have to wait for heaven. Amen. Verse number six, righteous will upright will deliver them, but the, eight, the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. Now, if this is a comparative thing, if he says he'll deliver you, the lust that he's talking about is the lust that says, I need to hurry up. I need to get this done. I need to get to this destination. How many of you ever got really frustrated? That's a kind word really frustrated that you weren't seeing what you thought God's word said. You got so frustrated that you're on the edge of being angry at God for not doing those things. Can I point out to you that when you don't get what you want, left unchecked, it's called lust. I knew nobody would stand up and yell amen. Have you ever had a hiccup in their finances and the refrigerator broke at a time that you didn't want to spend any of your money on a refrigerator, right? Or the car broke down when you didn't have money to buy the repairs. 
and you said to yourself, this is just not right, it's not fair, I trust God. We act as if how we act is supposed to pay an immediate dividend from God's hand to ours. See, that works-based thinking will produce lust. If I treat my wife well enough, she will do what I need her to do for me. And we become works-based in all of these things. You don't have to treat your wife a specific way. You need to become like Jesus. By the way, becoming like him is something he does in our life, not something we do in our life. Right? We just replace becoming like Jesus with all our other stuff. He's wanting to do that work in our life. You say, oh yeah, but I got to get rid of this. Why don't you just let Jesus get rid of it? Why don't you trust him in that area? And so he says in verse number six, he says, the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. As you mature, you're going to have to spend time coming to grips with how you see what God promised. Occasionally, we see that God just abundantly pours out, overflowing, and we think, why am I not overflowing? And we, let's put it in money. And I don't have enough money. I never have enough money. How many of you know never having enough money is not the problem? Nobody knows that. If you'll handle, come on, what does the Bible say? He who is faithful in little shall be given much. What's the problem? Being faithful in little. Does that make sense? When we figure out what our lust is, see, some people will give to get. If you give to get, you're operating in a potential lust. If you give out of obedience to God, this says, man, God, this is all yours, thank you. He is the most generous God ever if he allows you to keep 90% of everything he gives you. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I go to church and that, that goofy pastor, he asks for money every single week. And I don't have any and I feel guilty. And what happens? We begin to talk to ourselves. Well, I can't afford to give. You can't afford not to. When you, right? If God gives you a seed to plant and you eat it, you'll miss out on the harvest that would have come from the seed being planted. Amen. Skip down, if you would, please, to verse number nine. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. The hypocrite with his mouth. Now notice that God didn't intend for your mouth to be an agent of destruction. Let me tell you when this happens. When your emotions get goofy, you will say things that you ought not to say. Here's how it works. If we leave our feelings on our sleeve... And some, I mean, we already got them right out there, right? Or we can look at them every time, you know. And then something else happens, something outside of our control. And that one little instance causes us to have a spiritual meltdown. And what comes out of our mouth is destructive. And we think that we're actually issuing righteous ordinances. But we're destructive because what do we offer? We offer the word of God without love. We offer the word of God. I remember, oh, I hadn't been here all that long, but an but, uh, individual broke into the church. Well, it had to have been after we started the jail ministry, whenever that was. 
an individual broke into the church and stole a guitar. And before he got back to Ray, where he was going to buy gas, he had sold the guitar for $20 and got arrested. So he got $20 worth of gas. So I get a victim's impact statement from the sheriff's department. Here it comes. Happened to come on the week that I was scheduled to be in the jail on Thursday. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's God. (laughs) And so I see that I I see that Joe Blow has been arrested. And how did this hurt you? Right. And that's what they want to know in the victim's statement. And so I got to jail on on uh, Thursday night to to preach my little message. And there that kid was that broke into the church. And after it was all over, they're going back to the deal. I grabbed him and I said, hang, hey, hang back here for just a second. And of course, he's all sheepish because he knows that I know. And what I could have said to him was, listen, you little nincompoop. What is it that you're thinking? And what I said to him, I said, hey, the next time that you need $20 for gas, call me. Call me. Now, I could have said, you got $20 worth of gas, you broke a $200 window, and you're not smart enough to steal the right stuff. I got to tell you, there's stuff in this building that is carryable, that at that point, I don't know what we paid for our soundboard, like twelve dollars or $14,000, some crazy amount of money, and you can carry it out of here underneath your arm. Now, it's not worth anything now, because it's not digital, it's wired. You can go out and replace it for a minuscule amount of money. But if you had any sense at all, you just unplug the 32 cables that are hooked to that thing, put that thing under your arm and head to Denver. Because somebody wants a 32-channel Heath and Allen board. Because it was the top of the line stuff, worth $10,000 or $12,000. If you're going to steal something, I mean, you know, if that's your plan, (laughs) at least steal something that's worth something. Or at least know it. I mean, the guitar he stole was probably worth $1,500. 400 bucks for the guitar? Well, he got 20 out of it. Now again, see, when you think you know what you're doing, you'll trust yourself rather than trusting the people God's put around you. And so the hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. I could have told him that what he did was wrong. Can I point out to you that if you're on the wrong side of the bars at jail, you already know what you did was wrong. It doesn't do any good pointing it out. Stop doing that. That's why you're in jail. You can't do it while you're in there. I don't need to point any of that kind of stuff out. I need to point out that he has a friend rather than a judger. Now, yeah, will that burn you? Yes. But who's getting burnt? It's not my stuff, it's God's. If you want to steal from God, go ahead. And we'll still walk with you. And sooner or later, you'll figure it out that you may not be the sharpest tool in God's shed. Verse number nine, but through knowledge, the righteous, but through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. So here's the thing. When you stop using your words to destroy people, you'll start to use your words to help deliver somebody. That's what he's saying. Skip down to verse number 12. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor. 
He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor. I know that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because we do get, I mean, you kind of live right next door to somebody and, you know, if they, here's my struggle. I live next to Dave and Twyla Shackley, so this does not happen in my life, okay? And I know the people across the street, but back in the olden days, I lived in an area where we worked really, really hard to make our lawn look nice. And I was in secret competition with everybody in the neighborhood, okay? Only there was this church directly across the street from us, and they never sprayed their dandelions, so they had the most beautiful yellow flowers, six, eight, ten times a year. And then they'd spring up, they'd have that little thing. And then every little kid whose mother didn't teach them, or father didn't teach them, don't blow the dandelion seeds. Okay? they do that, out they'd go. And of course, almost 90% of them landed on my lawn. I don't know how, what the person... And, and so, see, here's what happened. Because I was devoid of wisdom... I would blame the church for my lawn. Little church, you know, nobody went there. And in, in those days, I was pretty sure I was doing everything right and they were probably doing everything wrong. And you know how you get kind of critical and judgmental that way in, in things? And I'm going, man, the pastor's never at that church, you know. And, and <laughs> I didn't know when I met the pastor that in their particular fold, they thought playing cards were of the devil. Tracy and I invited he and his wife over to play cards. Oops. Should have done a little research there. Wanted to be. But let me, let, me, let me show you something about wisdom. If you have wisdom and you don't like that your neighbor's yard is putting dandelions in yours, buy $12 worth of chemical and go over there and spray his yard. Duh. I mean, you know, the church wouldn't have minded. But here's the thing. When we're devoid of wisdom, we despise our neighbor. And we despise them because they don't, under those circumstances, just magically know what we're thinking. Second half of that says a man of understanding holds his peace. Okay, you may not understand this, but as it's written here, but when you get all wound up, you're the one that gives the peace of God that lives in you a way to operate in the goofiness of anger. Jesus is to us peace. 1 Corinthians 1.30 said he became peace to us. Isaiah chapter 53 and about verse 5, he was, he was bruised for our iniquities, for our sins, for our transgressions. And the chastisement, the discipline was upon him for his peace, for our peace. The same sacrifice that gets you free from sin gets you completely filled with the peace of God. You actually have to give it away to get angry. Thank you for your enthusiasm. A man of understanding holds his peace. What does that mean? It means he holds on to it by not losing control of his emotions. Verse 12, a talebearer reveals secret, secrets. But he who is of a faithful spirit conceals the matter. How much you want me to go into this one? You know, love, the love of God covers a multitude of sins. Most of the church for the last 150 years has been about exposing sin and imposing rules 
rather than revealing Jesus Christ and pushing freedom. And so people don't even come to the church to get the help because they know that we're going to judge them. Shame on us. Amen. Verse 14, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Oftentimes, we will heap to ourselves people who think like us. And they will become yes men. Or we will be so overbearing that they'll not have anything to say. You ought to seek out people who are different from you and who will challenge you in how you think. Amen or not? I know it's harder that way. I'm, I'm dealing with two young pastors by, by um, FaceTime. I'm dealing with two young pastors by FaceTime right now. They don't think like me, and they know it. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying I am 40 years down the road that they're just now starting to walk on. Maybe you ought to ask a question. Because, see, the road sign of sin is not your destination. But you see, sin. And you stop and you stare at the sign. And then you begin to teach everybody. See that sign right there? That's a bad sign. But they never drive on past that. And the next sign says, through Jesus, there's freedom. Right? We just stop at that one. And so we have to get to that place where we understand that the multitude of counselors, there is this safety. What does safety mean? Well, safety means security or surety. It means there's a stability in what you're going through. Most of us, when we go through things we don't know what to do with, we get all kinds of wound up. And we get nervous Nellies really big. So anyway, just want you to see that, that you ought to seek out some counselors. You know, some, some people that'll, that'll, that'll talk to you. And don't get discouraged when somebody tells you no. Don't get discouraged when you don't like what they say. You know, just keep pressing on. Because sooner or later, the truth that you need will be illuminated by God. Skip down to verse number 18. I didn't, I didn't get nearly as far. It says, the wicked man does deceptive work. Meaning that there's not a foundation of truth behind it. There's not a foundation of truth behind it. He who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. See, these are just great little two-liner things that compare things. Verse 20, those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord. But the blameless in their ways are his delight. Skip down, if you would, to verse 24. I wanted to get here all, all day because this is one of my life verses. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. Isn't it interesting that the sower, in this case, increases? Notice what it says. And there is one who withholds more than is right, and it leads to poverty. It leads to poverty. The generous soul, verse 25, will be made rich. Now notice it says the generous soul, will, intellect, and emotions. You cannot fake generosity by giving a large check. It's a heart issue. And it says the generous soul be made rich. Where you be made rich at? In your soul. I'm not saying there aren't 
financial blessings that are possible to come your way. But you won't have the stability in your soul to handle them. I've noticed that, that over the years as I've watched you know, mindless television shows and different things like that, there's always a show about people that win the lottery. And what you find out is you know, four out of five of them are in poverty within just a few years because they get a gazillion dollars, but they don't know how to handle it. And so what do they do? They live as if there's never going to be any end to that money. And if somebody was their counselor, you know, if you came to me and said, Pastor, I just inherited a million dollars. My first question would be, what are you going to do? And then most people say, well, I was thinking. Stop thinking. Stop thinking. Don't do anything until you have God's word on it. Because when you have God's word on it, what you do will last for eternity. If you have your word on it, you'll be driving a nice car, living in a nice house, and, and spending money like a fool. And it'll come down to it, you won't be able to stay connected to what God has for you. It's just interesting. Verse, second half of verse number 25. He who waters will also be watered himself. Isn't that interesting? He who waters will be watered himself. He who participates in the necessity for the soil and the seed to produce will also be watered themselves. Verse 26, he who trusts in riches will fail, fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Like foliage. Isn't that interesting? Having been in jungles in three parts of the tropical world, I will tell you that foliage is an interesting process. In every jungle we've ever been in, when you walk, you'll see that there used to be a path. You can kind of see where people or animals or whatever used to walk. But if you don't take a machete with you, the foliage will grow over and cover the path. In fact, the, the stuff will grow so quickly, they actually light the pastures on fire with the cattle in it. And the cattle will follow the fire around the little pasture they're in because the fresh growth comes up so quickly. It's the only growth down there that has any nutrients in it. It'll grow five foot tall, but it uses every bit of the nutrients to get five foot tall. And so they light it on fire. And then the cattle just will walk, you know, three feet behind the fire. Because if it's burnt, Today, the day after tomorrow, there'll be grass this high, full of nutrients. See? Foliage is meant to be something that grows so significantly, all by itself, right? And he says, listen, the righteous will flourish like foliage. Can you imagine having the blessing of God in such degree that you just got to chop some of it down so you can move? It's just an interesting process. Notice it says, verse number 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. If the righteous will be recompensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner. Now, recompense means payment in kind. So what he's saying is, if you deal in righteousness, you'll be paid back in righteousness. Corinthians says it this way, you multiply the seed sown and multiply the righteousness sown. 
the right standing. That's what God does. He multiplies righteousness. And that's what he said here. The, the, the righteous will be recompensed, literally paid in kind on the earth. That's awesome. That's just awesome. How much more the ungodly and the sinner get in their share. All right, so next week we'll do chapter 12, and, and I'll try not to pick out quite so many verses um, so that we can move. But I just, I just want you to see it. Amen. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for teaching us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.